Open your Bibles, Romans chapter 11, this morning. We unapologetically use the King James Bible in this church, and that's not going to change at any time soon. So, now, this morning is a subject that is controversial in Christendom. And it's controversial because it's complicated. And it's complicated because it has to do with God. And men have views of God that oftentimes come from religion rather than from the Word of God. And sometimes people hear things in the Scripture and they think, that's not what I heard before. And therefore, it's difficult sometimes to wrap your head around something that the Word of God says rather than the fables that we have been taught. And there are many in Christendom today. So I want to continue this morning with these verses. Isaiah 45, verse 7. The Bible said, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Now that's from your King James Bible. That's, I didn't write that verse. And also Isaiah 54, 16. Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work and I have created the waster to destroy. The waster in your King James Bible is Satan. God says I created him to destroy. Jesus Christ confirmed that. In John chapter 10, the thief cometh not, but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. God said he created that. Men hate that thought. It's contrary to what you were taught. Especially verse seven, the idea of God creating evil is just beyond people's ability to comprehend and understand. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest conundrums or dilemmas in the mind of man is if God is all loving and if God is all powerful, why does evil exist in his creation? It's a good question. It's a question that has baffled philosophers and teachers and all thinking people throughout the ages. Anyone who is a thinker has asked themselves this question. If God is all loving, and he is, and all powerful, and he is, why is there evil? in the world. No one really has come up with an answer that has satisfied the minds of men. Many attempts have been made, but why would God create evil? Not an easy, it's not an easy thing to understand. I'm trying to understand it and I'm trying to explain it. This message will be in two parts. Next week will be the why he did. This week will be the fact that he did do it from the scripture. Not from Augustine. Not from your well-known theologians down through the centuries. Not from your Puritans. But from the King James Bible. Because that's the only thing I'm interested in. I'm not interested in what men have to say about it. 
I want to know what God says about it himself and nothing else. I preached on these verses two, three weeks ago, and I received a message from another preacher. And he said, God tempting man with sin is kin to saying sin was part of his plan and God controls all that happens. First of all, I never said God tempted man with sin. I never said that. Matter of fact, the reason I did not say that is because I know these verses are in the Bible. James chapter 1, verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So God cannot tempt man with evil. It's not what he did. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That's what God told Adam in the garden. If you partake of that tree, you will die. That's confirmed throughout the entirety of the Bible. The wages of sin is death. And when it comes forth and it produces itself, this is what it does. When its sin is finished, it bringeth forth dead. But people read into these verses things that are not there. And they try to make these verses say things that are not there. We're going to quote to you what he said again. God tempting man with sin, like he said, I was, that's what I was saying because I was talking about these verses. And of course, that's the furthest, furthest thing from my mind that God would tempt man from sin. He's saying this was a, that it's like saying this was part of his plan and God controls all that happens. The reason that he said that is because I had said that not only did God know that Lucifer was going to be lifted with pride, is God omniscient? Is God all-knowing and omnipotent and omnipresent and eternal? And therefore, we serve the God who said that there is none else. And it's for those reasons. But I said that not only did God know Lucifer was going to be lifted up with pride, and not only did he allow it, but I said he planned it. And oh man, is that thought repulsive to men who do not understand the plan of God in his entire creation from the beginning to the end. This verse says, Isaiah 46, 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. What this verse is saying is that in the beginning, God had a plan and his counsel and his pleasure concerning that plan will stand. What was God's counsel? What was God's pleasure when he created man? What was it? He created man in his image. And he created man so that man would glorify him and that he would have fellowship with God and that he would enjoy God forever. That was God's plan. This verse says, declaring from ancient times the things that are not yet done. In other words, there's something right now, it's not done yet. God's not finished yet. He's not done. But one thing is for sure, what he purposed in the beginning, his counsel shall stand 
and God will do all his good pleasure. And we know that God works all things after the counsel of his own will. The world looks like it's falling apart right now. It's not a pretty picture. Nothing is catching God off guard. He knows exactly what's going on. And as difficult as it is for us to understand it, everything is working like clockwork. Right now. Yeah, everything is. So I submit to you that this verse, Isaiah 45, 7, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. That verse and this verse go together. They are linked together in the word of God. One explains the other. And we're going to examine that today. The preacher who contacted me said that not only he was upset that I said that not only did God know Satan was going to be lifted up with pride and not only did he allow it to happen, but he planned it to happen. He knew that was going to happen and Not only did God know that Satan was going to deceive the first couple, and not only did he allow it, but he planned it. And I'm going to show you today in your King James Bible how and where it says God planned it. I'm going to show it to you. Okay? By the way, did you notice that I said I went from Lucifer to Satan? Did you notice that? Why'd I do that? Well, because Lucifer is only called Lucifer one time in your King James Bible, one time. And it's before he falls. Before he's lifted up with pride, he's called Lucifer. He was, that's when he was the anointed cherub that covereth. He was the most beautiful of God's creation. That's what Ezekiel 28 said. And he was full of wisdom and beauty. And it was then, it was at that point when he was lifted up with pride. This is how Isaiah described it. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the most high. Wow. That's a created being saying that. After his fall, his name was changed to, there are many names for him in the Bible. You've got serpent, deceiver, waster. Huh? Scoundrel. See, that, that, now there's something added to the Bible right there, okay? There's your typical Bible butcher right there, okay? Adding things to the Bible that aren't there. Evil one, Leviathan, murderer. He's the prince of the power of the air, the power of darkness, the son of perdition, dragon, Belial, Beelzebub. There's more. What? Yeah. There's 10,000 comedians out of work and you're trying to be funny. 
Unbelievable. Sell said idiot. That's not in the Bible either, but I can understand where you would come up with that. He's also the serpent. And of course, he's Satan. But when you look at these verses and you understand that God is omniscient and that God is all-knowing, did God know this was going to happen? When God created Lucifer, did he know he was going to be lifted up with pride? Yes or no? Absolutely. If he didn't, he's not the God I know. So if he knew it, did he also allow it? Listen, God is a, God is a communicator, right? God wrote this. God communicates with man. People believe those two things. God knew it. God allowed it. The difficult part is when we say, or I say, he planned it. Oh man, wait, that's brother Rodney. Yeah. Just hold on a minute. If God had wanted to, could he not, as he was observing his most beautiful creation, Lucifer, could God not have said to him when he saw what was about to happen, God, God could have brought him to him and said, look, I, I see what you're beginning to think. I see it. And with just the two of them sitting there, God could have said, listen, I know what's going on in your mind right now. I know where you're going with this. This is not a good idea. Now, when we say God knows what's going on in his mind, do we have the authority to say that? Well, Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 5, And the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me and said unto me, Speak, thus saith the Lord, thus have ye said, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind, every one of them. Now, I know this is talking about Israel, but does God only know what comes into the mind of Israel? Does not the omniscient God know what comes into the mind of all his creation? Of course he does. Of course he does. God knows all things. So since God knew this was going to happen, could he not have gone to him and said, if you follow through, with what you're thinking right now, you're going to put a spoke in the wheels of my plans and you're going to ruin everything. Now, that conversation obviously did not happen. Okay, that conversation did not happen. And the reason that conversation did not happen, the reason God did not stop him is because God not only knew he was going to do this and be lifted up with pride, and God not only allowed it to happen. Ask yourself this question. If God allowed it to happen, and God works all things after the purpose of his own counsel and will, why would anyone think that God had not planned this? Why would you think that? You would think that because of the teachings of Christendom that say, oh, that God could never have done that. What if there's a greater reason why God, why this had to happen? Why is, what if there is a greater reason? Everything God does 
and everything God allows and everything God has planned according to his own purpose has a reason. God is not vain like man, men are, men and women are. God is not filled with vanity. God has purpose in his design. That he has reasons why things happen in his creation. This was not an accident that caught God off guard and God didn't go, oh my goodness, I didn't know you were going to do that. Had I known you were going to do that, I just never would have created you. That would be a foolish thing to think about the omniscient God that this caught him off guard. And then we go in our Bibles from this fall to the fall of the first couple. That's the order. And think about this. Right after Adam and Eve made themselves fig leaves, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. They had just made a fig leaf to cover themselves. Trying to fix their error. Trying to fix their sin by their own works. Are we to assume that this was the first time God came down in the cool of the day? and talked with Adam and Eve? I'm thinking not. God created man to have fellowship with man and so that man could enjoy him forever. So it's obvious that God walked in the cool of the day with the couple that he had created for fellowship. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. When God saw the serpent talking to the woman, could God not have said, <coughs> Eve, it's not a good idea. It's not a good idea. He does not have your best interest at heart. It's not a good idea for you to entertain him right now. No, this conversation never happened. That conversation never happened. God could have stopped it from happening. He could have. Did God know what was going to happen? Oh, absolutely. Did God allow what happened? The reason God did not stop the serpent from doing what he was doing is because God not only knew he was going to do this. He not only allowed this to happen, God planned it. You say, you're kidding. No, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you in your King James Bible why this had to happen. It had to happen. Next week, you'll have a clear picture of why. I, I can't get into the why this week. This, is not, this week is not about the why. Next week is about the why. But everything God does and everything God allows and everything God plans has a purpose and it has a reason behind it. So let me show you a few verses about God himself. 
who he is and show you that he is in control of every single thing. Not some things, all things. Now, I asked you to get Romans chapter 11, right? I'm just going to read this section of scripture right here, then we're going to come back and dissect a few verses, but we'll begin with Romans 11:28. As concerning the gospel, they, that's Israel, are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. In other words, God is going to work everything out the way he planned to work it. He knows the end from the beginning. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Remember the fall of Israel at the stoning of Stephen. They fell and God saved Saul of Tarsus, gave him the revelation of a secret. Verse 31, even so have these also now not believed. Oh, yeah. Even so have these now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again, for of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. So we're going to begin at verse 33 and see what our apostle, the apostle Paul, has to say about God. Not just God today, because God doesn't just live today. God lives in the ever-present realm we call eternity. God dwells in eternity. We live in a time slot that started with in the beginning and ends with the fullness of times, Ephesians 1.10. We live in a period of time that was created by God that's inside of eternity. But God dwells on all sides of eternity. God is above all things and he's beneath all things. He's inside all things. He's outside of all things. We live inside this little capsule called time. In this capsule called time, the reason time came into existence was to measure the duration of created things. That's why time exists. Everything has a time and a place and a purpose and a reason. Everything that is in God's creation is here because God put it here. Everything, every person, every creature, both in heaven and on earth. Nothing is here by accident. Now, in that realm of who God is, in that realm of eternity, the things that are said about him in his word never change. Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord, I change not. Not to be confused with his dealings with men, which have changed throughout history. What God told Adam is not what he told Noah. What God told Noah is not what he told Abraham. What God told Abraham, not what he told Moses. What God told Moses, not what he told David. What God told David, not what he told John the Baptist. What God told John the Baptist, not what he told Saul of Tarsus, the apostle to the Gentiles in the dispensation of grace. His dealings with men have changed, but God himself never changes. 
He is always the same. So in verse 33, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. This is the same question that Zophar asks Job in Job chapter 11. Canst thou by searching find out God? Of course not. Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? Huh. No man can ever do that. No man will ever do that. Verse 34. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Job asks another question. That is, or I should say the Lord asked Job a question similar to this. God says to Job, who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? That could be pasted on the forehead of a lot of preachers. It could. And a lot of theologians. Especially Augustine. If you don't know anything about that, I'm sorry, but. Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Of course, no man has any understanding of that. No man knows the work of God from the beginning. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. No man knows that. Not without God revealing it to man. Paul continues. Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? <laughs> no one has ever given anything to God where God had to turn around and recompense that man, pay that man back for something he did for God. No man has ever done anything for God. Ever. Not once. And why is that? Watch, verse 36. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. What does this mean? What does this mean? What are the all things here? Yeah, I know. That's pretty easy, right? Thank God you're not a theologian because for a theologian, this is very difficult right here. For of him. Now you think about that. And through him. Nothing in heaven or in, her, in earth, is here unless it came through God. And to him, what does that mean? It means that everything that is of him, which is all his creation, and everything in his creation, even the angels, all of them, everything that is through him exists, and he is responsible for its existence. But then notice though, and to him, all things are of him and through him. And the thought is back to him. That's a full circle. That's a full circle right there. The figure of God 
is a circle. It's eternal. Of him, through him, and back to him. Paul basically said the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, and of course Paul is referring to the fabrications of men's darkened hearts, who've created gods after their own image and their own likeness. Men love to create gods like them. Amen? Verse 6, but to us, there is but one God. Who is he? The Father. How many of you in here are fathers? You know what it is to be a father, right? You love your children. You want the best for them. Doesn't always work out the way you planned it, but you want the best for them. That's a father. That's our father. And what about him? Of whom are all things? Not some things, all. How many things? You're not going to escape that word all in these verses. And we in him. And one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things. Colossians chapter 1, by, he create, by whom all things are created. By Jesus Christ. And we by him. So if something is of God, is God responsible for its existence? What about this? I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do some of these things. No, I, the Lord, do all things because of him and through him and to him are all things. All. Not some things. Did it ever occur to you that when Satan, Lucifer, was created, that he was created for the purpose of being God's adversary? Did that ever occur to you? That it wasn't an accident? Jesus Christ addressed this. We read in John chapter 8, verse 44, talking to the Pharisees, ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. Notice, he was a murderer from the beginning. What beginning would that be? Would that be the beginning of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of creation? Or would it be the beginning of his creation? Like he was created full of beauty, but in his heart lay something that no one would think would be there. He was a murderer. From Murder was in his heart. Notice, says, and abode not in the truth. When he was created, was he surrounded by truth? <laughs> Jesus Christ, I am the way, the truth, and the life. <laughs> yeah. But he did not abide in it. Why? 
because there is no truth in him. There is none. And how long was there no truth in him? From the beginning of his existence. We're talking about the devil here. It's from the beginning of his existence. When he was created, notice he says, when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. When he was created, there's something people don't think about. He was created with the ability to murder and speak lies. It was built into him. And because God is omniscient and because God is omnipotent, he created him that way. You've never heard what I'm going to say right now, but Lucifer did not have a choice but to do what he did. And there was a plan and a purpose in it, which is what we're going to talk about next week. But he was ordained to this, just like this here in Jude chapter one, verse four. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. There's men who were before ordained to this condemnation ungodly men turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. There are men who were ordained. Judas was ordained to do what he did. Pharaoh was raised up to do what he did. Lucifer, not the only one. Lucifer is not the only one. Now look at this verse. I'm going to put another verse here instead of this one. Watch. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 4. The Lord hath made some things for himself. <laughs> the Lord hath made all things for himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Now I realize this is not easy. Not easy to wrap your head around something that you weren't taught this. We're not taught these things. I was never taught these things. Next week, we'll look at the why, the reason, the purpose. Why did the omniscient God create everything the way it is, knowing that there would be evil in it. Why? It's the greatest question men have in their minds. Why? It has racked the brains of philosophers. Why? It has racked the brains of theologians. Why? Don't ask me why. I think I have a good answer, but I do. I do. I'm not a theologian, never been to Bible college, barely graduated from high school, got saved, started reading my King James Bible, and the Word of God opened up to me, and I can't explain, I don't know why, I just, it just, I just, it, I see things in the Bible, I can't explain it, I don't know why, I just do. Some Christians have said, well, if I was God, I never would have allowed evil in the world. <laughs> That's why you're not God. Because you would have done the wrong thing. Because God did allow it. He not only allowed it, he planned it for a very special reason. Now I'm going to show you a couple of verses that absolutely prove Not only that God knew the first couple were going to fall, not only that he allowed it, 
not only that he planned it, but he made it happen. God made it happen. I'm going to show you the verses. I'm going to show it to you right now. Or do you want to come back next week and I'll, do, I'll show you then? Now, I think now will be better. Before I show you the verses, let me just share an illustration with you and ask you a couple questions. Suppose that a man makes a model soldier like this, okay? Remember when they first started walking by themselves? Remember that? The first models. Even puppies, right? They, and then they fall and they keep moving upside down. So the man makes this model and he turns on the power switch and this model takes its first step and falls and it just on the floor. So the man picks it up and turns off the power. Whose fault is it? Is it the robot's fault? that he fell or is it the creator of the robot's fault that he fell? <laughs> you don't want to answer that, do you? I don't know why. It's not the robot's fault. So what should the creator of this robot do? Or even better, what should he do for the robot? According to Christianity, the creator should take that robot and cast him into the burning flames of hell in eternal conscious torment with no respite, no relief for all of eternity and punish him for having fallen. And that's what we have taught in Christendom. That's what we teach. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, where angels procreated and the world was filled with violence and God saw that the imagination of their heart was only evil continually. And I asked, my, I asked you this question. The earth was filled with violence. And I asked you this question. Are those people like that because they want to be? or because they can't help it? And the answer is they can't help it. It's not that's what they wanted to be. That's what they became as a result of the fall. So God had to destroy the whole thing. There was one family that had not, that had remained pure. That was Noah and his generations and then the flood and then they began to repopulate and no longer as they repopulate, the same thing happens again. There's like... The, the Tower of Babel, and I don't have time to go into all that, but just, but that's what we teach. But if the creator of this thing was worth his salt, he would take this thing and fix it so it doesn't fall again. That's what he would do. Now, the reason I use the, the robot there's a reason for it is because we've all heard how that God did not create Adam and Eve as robots. God created them with a free will and they chose to do that freely. I'm going to show you. No, they did not. No, they did not have free will. Because everything God does is according to his plan, his purpose, and his will. I'm going to show it to you right now. I asked you to get Romans chapter 8 also, right? You'll want to follow in Romans chapter 8 in your Bibles, okay? And I'm going to ask you a question before we look at this. Are you ready to believe your Bible? Or do you want to believe the fables of men? Thank you. At least my wife wants to believe the Bible. Romans chapter 8, verse 19. For the earnest 
expectation of the creature. Now, who's the creature? Yeah, it's all the creatures that are on the creation. All of them. But he's going to specify. Let me just show you. Look down at verse 22 real quick and just show you that Paul's also including the creation. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Okay, so Paul is dealing with creatures that are on the creation, and the creation itself is groaning. Okay? So verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature, this has to be man because animals don't have earnest expectations. They don't have that. They live minute by minute. That's it. We have earnest expectations. The creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Now, this verse has a lot of things in it, so we're just going to break it down. I want to deal with the last phrase of verse 20, hath subjected the same in hope. Okay, hath subjected the same in hope. Now, what does that mean? Okay, now think about this. Before Adam and Eve fell, they were in paradise. They were in the most beautiful garden, luxurious, lush, glorious, no sin, no violence, no rebellion, just peace with God. And God coming down in the cool of the day and walking and talking and fellowshipping with his creation, the first couple. Did they need hope in those days before sin entered? Did they need hope? Of course not. What are you going to hope for? You not only have everything, you even have God himself with you. There's nothing to hope for. There's no hopelessness. There's no despondency, no discouragement. Everything is beautiful. Everything is perfect. So they had no need of hope. Hope is the expectation of a promise that is made that will be fulfilled in the future. We have a hope. We have a hope, right? We have a hope. We've been subjected to that hope. How? Through our first parents. But when they were in the garden before the fall, they didn't need to worry about anything. So before the fall, there was no hope and no need of hope. But what happened? For the creature, that's man, and all the animals were made, was made subject to vanity. Now, what's vanity? Before they fell, they were not living a life of vanity. Their existence was with God in the garden. But something happened. See, vanity is life with no purpose, life with no meaning. This verse says that the creature was made subject to vanity. Did the creature be, end up in this state of vanity that we all know? According to his own free will, did his free will accomplish that? Notice the verse says, not willingly. No, they didn't do it willingly. No, they did not do it of their own free will. They were made subject to it. They were made subservient to it. They became slaves to it. They were made subject to it. So if it's not willingly, how did it happen? By reason of him, that's God, who hath 
subjected the same, the, them, the creature. He subjected them in hope. God took the first couple who were living in a place where hope was not necessary and subjected them to a realm where hope was now necessary. What is that called? It's called the fall of man. God subjected them to this. Man went from inside the garden where no hope was necessary to being banished from the garden where they're now subjected to vanity, but they're given a hope. They're now given a hope. Now they have something. They lost that. Now they're given a hope. They're given something. Hope of what? Look at the last phrase of verse 20. Who hath subjected the same in hope. Hope of what? Verse 21. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. That's the hope that was given to man. What hope? That he would be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Where does corruption happen in this world? To men in the grave. That's what God told Adam. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And when men die, where do they go? They go in the grave. You know what the grave holds? It holds death. It holds death. That's what the grave holds. But man was given this hope that he would be delivered from the bondage of corruption. So the hope, according to verse 21, is deliverance from death. We read in 1 Corinthians, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. I told you there's a lot you don't know about death. There's a lot we've never learned about death. But the Bible is filled with explanations of what it is. And it's unbelievable. Now, it's not just the creature. Notice verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, not only the creature in the creation, notice, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. When does the redemption of the body happen? The resurrection. In the resurrection. In this section of scripture, are you hearing what Paul is saying? Because it's truly mind-boggling because it's not like anything that we were taught about God and man and the purpose that God has in all of it. You may have to read these verses. I would encourage you, read these verses, Romans 8, 8, uh, 8, 23 down. Read these verses over and over again, and you'll begin to see a picture form in your understanding of what Paul is saying. For many people, what Paul just said in these verses does not fit what they were taught by their pastors and Bible teachers today and doesn't fit. It doesn't fit in that. But what are you going to believe, the Bible or men? I would suggest before you begin questioning God that you begin questioning the teachers who taught you different than what this is saying. That's what I would suggest to you. Because I know people love to question God. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Don't put a but where God puts a period. That's not the right thing to do. And like I said, next week, we're going to look at the why. All this had to happen, why he allowed it, why he even planned it. It was necessary. You need to understand, it was necessary that those things happened. 
I'm going to close with this. In Adam, Adam sinned and death passed upon all men. And Romans 6.23 said, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The wages of sin is death. We like to add things to that that aren't there. That's what the wages of sin are. It's death in the grave. We love to add other things. You know what people add. I'm not even going to have to tell you. But the gift of God, the gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How did that happen? God sent his son into this world to bleed and hang and die on a cross. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6, that Jesus Christ is a ransom for all. He paid the penalty. And according to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And all men born in this world are born right here with the sentence of death hovering above their heads, every single one. But when you believe this gospel, that Jesus Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again the third day for our justification, God takes you from being in Adam and he puts you in Christ. This is the message we preach. This is the gospel of the grace of God that we preach in this day and age that we live in today. And when we're in Christ, instead of death, you're made alive. And instead of sin, you have righteousness. This is what the law produced. The law brings condemnation. This is what grace brought. It, it brought the death of God's son. And you access all this by faith. This is the message that we learn from the apostle to the Gentile. You don't get this in the four gospels. You don't get that there. You get that from the apostle who said, I speak to you Gentiles. That's where you get the free gift from. And salvation by grace through faith, apart from the works of the law. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior today, this is how it happens. You're in Adam. Jesus Christ died. You believe that. He takes you from Adam and he puts you in Christ. That is the greatest place you can be right now in Christ. It is the safest place you can be right now in Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, we don't give altar calls here and invitations to come shake my hand and say a prayer. For by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourself. It's the gift of God. Not of works. It's not anything you do. Don't come forward. I can't save you. Jesus Christ is the only one who can save you. And he will save you when you just believe that he died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. And you're trusting that for the forgiveness of your sins. And that's it. And God saves you. Amen. That's how it happens. That's how it happens. And that's how simple it is. So if you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, today is the day of salvation. We live in a day where you can be saved by this right here. Free gift. You want to wait till after dispensation is over? You can do that. It's not going to be easy. When hell on wheels arrives, and believe me, the wagon is coming, as you can see. The wagon is on its way. The stage is being prepared for what the Bible, in a few weeks, that's, I'm going to be looking at this. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming. We're going to be looking at that. Because it's important. We need to know. We need to understand. But anyway, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, today is a great day. There's no reason why you should wait. Today's the day you believe the gospel. Amen. Let's pray.
Our gracious God and our Father, we're so thankful this morning that we could preach the Word of God just the way it is, without adding things to it, without taking things away from it, just letting it sit where it sits, on its own, by itself, and just believing the words on the page as they are. I pray, Lord, for anyone who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior today, that today they would just believe the gospel and be saved. I pray these things in that name that is above every name, the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.